at the end of the day, we want to automate as much as possible and we want to be as, as efficient as possible, but we're hiring humans into businesses. So those humans will want to interact with other humans. Hello, and welcome to The Talent Blueprint, your guide to building a talent-first company. Today's episode features an interview with Cherry Ainsworth, Global Head of Talent Acquisition at Financial Times. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for companies to deliver more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce using industry-leading AI. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Talent Blueprint. Today, we have an amazing guest joining us. We have Cherry Ainsworth, who is the Global Head of Talent at the Financial Times. Cherry, thank you so much for joining us today. Super, super excited for this conversation. Yes, no, thank you for having me. So to kick off, let's get into our first segment, the blueprint. It's a blueprint. This doodle is called a blueprint. A blueprint. Just screw up a little blueprint. And it's right here in this here blueprint. Cherry, tell me about your role at the Financial Times, what kind of work you've been doing there. Yes, so I joined the FT just over three years ago now and was actually hired in as their first global head of talent acquisition to essentially come in and build out the internal recruiting team. So started with a small team of four of us um, and over the last three years have grown that out to um, what will be a team of 15 of us. And we've done that by basically sort of starting working with kind of smaller pockets within the FT and then sort of proving that that model, that concept of having an internal resourcing function works and then growing that out across the business. It's uh, really fun to get a chance to really build a team like that from more or less from scratch. What was the biggest opportunity you saw when you first joined? Yeah, so I think, I mean, I think it was it was that exactly. The fact that I was coming into a blank canvas you know, it hadn't been done before. Up until that point, managers had been responsible for a lot of their own hiring, HR had supported, but there hadn't been sort of a formalized recruitment team. So for me to be able to kind of come in and put my stamp on something, build out a team, see that sort of change management piece happen across the FT and really bring the business on that journey with me and with us, with the rest of the team. That was super, super exciting. And I think I, I look back now and I sort of think, wow, well, you know, we've grown loads over the last three years. But I also look at it and I go, okay, well, we've still got loads more to do as well. So we're definitely not the finished article. Um, you know, there's definitely improvements that we need to make, but I love to see that progress. Um, and that's what keeps me motivated and kind of keeps things keeps things interesting. I can imagine. Well, in that progress journey over the last couple of years, what for you personally has been the most rewarding part of your role? Yeah, so I think it has been, as I kind of mentioned, the fact that we started with the fact that we were working with a couple of the business units in the FT and we were piloting that talent acquisition model. And I think it's been the ripple effect of seeing sort of the other business units within the FT going, oh, okay, you know, I want talent acquisition support. How do I get access to to that support? And being able to then sort of go out and, you know, build that team and grow that team and, you know, really see then some of those processes that we've implemented be taken up across the wider organization. I think that's really rewarding. I think this uh, this takes us nicely to, to our next segment, Cherry, the journey. A real journey. Become the journey. In that 
journey that you, you've been on, I imagine you've also had an evolution in how you've thought about measuring success that obviously will look different when you have a team of four versus as the function starts growing and maturing. And as you start thinking about sub-functions, employer branding, sourcing, recruiting, the sort of different components of talent operations, as you've gotten to the point where you're at now and, and based on where you're at now, how, how have you thought about the evolution of how you've measured success? What's been most important to you in, in creating a yardstick for yourself and, and how the team is, is uh, performing and maturing? Yeah, so I think being a new function and when we sort of were first established, um, as with, as is the case with most kind of in-house TA functions, our primary driver was to drive down cost and drive down reliance on third-party agency usage to prove that that investment from the business is a worthwhile one. But I think as we now have sort of progressed and developed and you know luckily we, we have driven down costs which is good so you know that I think the business is quite happy about that but I think as we've developed as a function we've moved sort of much more into looking at quality of hire the diversity of our pipelines and that candidate experience piece so the FT have some DNI goals around representation, and obviously, um, being a talent acquisition function, we are key enablers to those goals. So we've worked hard to sort of diversify our hiring sources, look at sort of inclusivity as part of the interview process, and really sort of track and measure then, I guess, how we're sort of how we're doing against those goals, and then how we're delivering for the business um, in terms of quality of hire. I think the most important sort of measure of success for me when I started and now still is feedback from the business is that the business likes working with us, the business gets a good service from TA, you know, they trust in us, and they come to us and they actively partner with us. So that's my biggest driver is that, you know, when I'm getting feedback from senior stakeholders or different people from across the business saying, oh, so-and-so in your team has done a fantastic job, or we're so happy with the hire that we've made, um, or you've built out this whole team or department for us, and we, we, we couldn't be more grateful. Like That's the thing that I think is it's harder to measure, but that's what we want to be hearing. And that's how I'm sort of thinking about, okay, great. Well, everyone's coming to me. I want everyone to be coming to me with you know positive feedback. And that's how I know that we're a successful team. All of the other sort of, you know, very metrics driven stuff around time to hire, cost per hire, that of course is very, very important. But I think it's that reputation within the business as well and, and working hard to sort of build those solid relationships. Absolutely critical to have that kind of trust established, especially when some of the types of targets you're talking about, such as diversity and quality of hire, could be hard to make predictable. I think there's an increasing demand from many, from many business leaders to set diversity targets and meet diversity targets, but it can be hard to predict how diverse your pipeline will be ahead of time. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, you know, we spend a lot of time with our customers trying to think about that further up the funnel before you start seeing in your interview process, etc. How can you start thinking about, as you mentioned, certain sources that might bring diversity in and bring more predictability in? Have you had certain strategies on that front that have helped build that trust about sort of, kind of taking this proactively, either through things like events or other programs that have kind of brought more tr predictability into that process? Yeah, so we have, as you as you mentioned, I think it's very much about sort of focusing on kind of the, the, the top of the funnel. We have worked to develop sort of a number of partnerships with different organizations that um, sort of specialize in, you know, particular areas or um, working with particular groups of, of individuals. So we've done quite a bit of work in that area. 
and then also looking at sort of our advertising sources as well. So where's the FT being seen? Um, you know, where are our vacancies being promoted? And so I think it's about building that piece and then trying to then look at then your interview process and make sure that that's as inclusive as as possible as it can be so that you're sort of tackling both both parts of the process if that makes sense absolutely and and the questions like starting to change the interview process touches on something we see many organizations run into as a challenge because it's the kind of change that can often require pretty major culture changes across the business, not just within your function in TA or in, in recruiting, but in how everybody in the business operates as part of the talent function, how hiring managers operate. What have been some frictions that you've run into in trying to bring about major change like this? And, and what have been some of your lessons learned? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'd say we've, we've still got some work to do on our journey there. Absolutely. In terms of, you know, getting people to all kind of work in a similar way. But I think it's all very well and good trying to tell people that you know this is how we want you to work or this is how we want you to interview but I think it's really about demonstrating the value of that change through results or through kind of real life examples so what we've tried to do and I think because of the way that we've established the TA team at the FT is that we've seen sort of a ripple effect so we start kind of working in a certain way with pockets of the organization and we get then you know sponsors or people to advocate on the behalf of that way of working and then if other business units then see like oh okay well you know people in this team are doing it that way or you know most of the FT is doing it that way and and it's working for them then it tends to be I guess, a slightly easier kind of conversation because a lot of the time you have sponsors and you have people saying like, actually, yeah, you know, we've gone through that change and actually we didn't, we didn't, it didn't feel as possible as, um, as painful as we thought it would. Um, so that's, I think what we've kind of focused on is having those sort of sponsors across the FT to kind of advocate, um, advocate for the fact that, you know, it, it does still get the results. It's a, very wise way of doing it because then that kind of success breeds success. Well, speaking of this kind of principle of focusing on building uh, success stories and, and, and picking your priorities, how have you thought about that in the context of the talent experience, like kind of across the talent lifecycle? What have been some of the biggest priorities you've picked and, and sort of battles you've you decided to prioritize in the either the candidate journey or the employer or the alumni journey as you think about as you've thought about improving the, the talent experience? Mm, so I think for for candidates. Like given the fact that we're in such a competitive marketplace at the moment, I think it's that ease of application and making that process as seamless and as as least difficult as it possibly can be so that you're not having people sort of drop off, come to your career site and then go, oh, God, I don't want to create an account and sit there for 15 minutes submitting my application. So making that process as seamless as we can do um, to try and kind of increase those application numbers and, you know, really make that candidate journey um, a little bit easier. And then I think for like the sort of employer side of it, like we've been thinking about then our employer brand and kind of art articulating our EVP to try and sort of, I guess, get that kind of message out there about, you know, what it's like to work at the FT so that we don't struggle to attract candidates or, you know, we're, we're better in attracting candidates, I should say. So thinking about that and then thinking about obviously how do we do that and then how do we sort of get our culture out to, to a different audience. 
I think for such major public brands like the Financial Times is a, is a particularly interesting question because obviously there's so many things that your business would have done to optimize the, the customer experience, the consumer experience, and it's kind of the, the battle of thinking about how to make it as frictionless as possible to, to tackle your consumers. And I think it's particularly interesting for brands like yours to have to think about what does that mean for our EVP? How do we take some of the things that we do right for our customers, but also consider that our EVP is different to our customer brand. How do we, we align that? Now, as you think forward, clearly you've managed to put in some foundations in, in those types of areas and, and made improvements in the, the application experience and, and built and built the, the core foundations for your function. But there's, as you say, still lots of work to do, as there would be for any team. What are your biggest priorities and what's the biggest opportunity that lies ahead for you if you had to describe your strategy looking forward in a, in a couple of sentences for the next couple of years? Yeah. So I think our, actually our biggest priority is that employer brand piece. Um, I think we are very lucky that the FT is a well-known and well-regarded publication. So we do get people that, that come to us. But I think what's going to be a big focus for us is to try and attract a different type of individual or to make sure that, you know, our employee population and then our journalism is reflective of the audiences that we serve and the and of the locations that, that we're based in. So I think that's going to be our biggest challenge is actually making people understand what the FT is like now as an organization and as an employer. I think, you know, most people will have heard of the FT, but they, you know, might think of, you know, the old, old pink newspaper and someone sitting on the Waterloo and City line reading the FT on their way into their city job. But, you know, we're obviously the pink newspaper is still a massive part of our of our product portfolio, but we are an online first organization. 80% of our subscribers are digital subscribers. All of our growth is coming through digital channels. So we are probably much more sort of innovative and forward thinking than people might imagine us to be. And I think that's probably our biggest challenge when it comes to attracting talent. And, And particularly then I'm sort of referring to talent within the technology and product space is that when people think of careers in that area, they wouldn't think of the FT. They would think of, you know, I don't know, a fintech startup or, you know, your Googles and Facebooks of the world. So I think we've got a big piece of work to do there to almost sort of realign our reputation externally with where the business is at now on its on its journey. And also as, as an employer as well, I think our culture internally within the FT is probably, yeah, more innovative and probably more relaxed and sort of more almost like informal than you might think it would be. I think because of some of the topics that we write about, you know, they're, they're pretty serious, but it doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, we're a serious organization 100% of the time. Well, uh, a good 10, 15 years ago, I, I would have been one of the people you described sitting on that very Waterloo and City Live with a very safe <laughs> Yeah. Speaking of how things have evolved over time and changed, I want to touch on perhaps a more personal side of this for for you. I know that you've recently returned to work after your maternity leave. I'd love to hear about your own personal experience of coming back to work after a period of time. How have you found it? What would you say is important for new parents going back to work and, and going through this experience? Yeah, I found it. I've definitely found it 
a juggling act, absolutely. But I was really, really looking forward to going back to work, actually. So I, I, I took a, a full year off when I um, was off on maternity leave. But I think I'm really passionate about kind of encouraging female empowerment and sort of development and I think you know often sort of you'll hear about kind of women coming back from maternity leave and perhaps not returning from maternity leave or you know coming back and then not sort of wanting to maybe push themselves or you know progress further in their careers kind of due to obviously circumstances changing so I think for me it's been yeah really nice to get back into work but also you know really I'm really lucky that the FT has been very supportive in that process. And, you know, as a whole, they are really supportive across the board. So I've come back working four days a week, which allows me to have Fridays with my little boy, um, which is lovely. And, um, you know, I think they are, they're very, very accommodating in terms of, you know, we obviously we've moved to sort of hybrid working and we but we had flexible working before the pandemic so it's kind of you know if you need to be somewhere at a certain time you know, there's no questions asked there's a lot of trust there and I think you know employ I think organizations really do need to sort of foster that kind of environment if they want to keep those returners and keep you know females in the workforce you know once once they've had children absolutely I think it's one of those things that to your earlier point around speaking to diversity strategies, it goes deeper than just how you think about recruiting. It's about how you create that kind of inclusion throughout the employee experience and why it's so important for, for this conversation to be had. And, and it's great to hear that this is something that you've been helping to spearhead and, and speak to in, in your business. This takes us nicely to, to our next segment, Future of Talent. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the future. I'd love to unpack a little bit more of what you see as the recipe for success that organizations really need to think about as an employer. You've touched on some of these core topics that are so important to get right in diversity. How would you unpack that in terms of what success really looks like? And is there anything else you'd really flag as kind of what's most critical to you for an organization to prioritize? Yeah. So, I mean, I think when you really sort of think about it in simple terms, it's knowing your marketplace and I guess being flexible and agile enough to pivot when you need to. So, you know, I think I just mentioned now that obviously we've moved to hybrid working sort of since the pandemic. And obviously during the pandemic, we were all working from home. But that for the FT wasn't a huge shift because we'd already embraced flexible working before the pandemic. So I think it's sort of thinking about what are those trends on the horizon? What are the, you know, what are the really, I guess, pioneering kind of companies doing? And then then do you need to do as an organization to remain competitive or to remain attractive to talents? And I think it's trying to as well in this age of kind of hybrid working and remote working, I think it's about trying to maintain that cohesion with employees and company culture when you're not all together in an office five days a week. I think that's going to be a big challenge for organisations. And then focusing on those areas again. So then how do we make it as inclusive as it can be? What do we need to be doing to make sure that employees feel supported um, and really focusing on kind of that, that well-being and sort of mental health side of things? But I mean, I think in in today's marketplace as well, where it is so, so competitive for talent, then I, I think as well, 
just the fundamentals, thinking about your salaries that you're offering, your benefits, you know, what is it that's making you stand out above and above another employer? And if your salaries aren't top of market and your benefits aren't phenomenal, then your candidate experience has to be the best it possibly, possibly can be. Couldn't agree more. And is there one of those areas that has been kind of top of mind for you within within the FT as the the things that you've been trying to push for? I'd say it's the, it's the flexibility piece and kind of being agile and, you know, adapting to sort of the market conditions. So I wouldn't say there's one thing sort of that we're doing or that we've done that is kind of keeping us competitive. But I think it's those sort of small shifts over time so that then if something, you know, big happens, you're not sort of on, on the back foot. And I think the word, the word agile has come to mean so many new things in the last couple of years, one of which is it's uh, important to keep listening because the ex- people's expectations and asks and needs are evolving at a pretty rapid rate. So it's, it's important to, to, as a business, just stay open to change and, and to listening to the organization. With the same theme of kind of what's next in the future in mind, what do you believe other HR and TA leaders really need to think about getting right in the next couple of years that might be different from, from the last few? I think we do really need to focus on retention. There's a lot of obviously talk of, you know, the war for talent, the great resignation. And it touches back to my piece on sort of building a culture when you have a lot of your workforce working remotely a lot of the time. So I think employers need to recognize that and recognize that it's easier than ever to move roles. You know, people don't have to go to an interview at 5.30pm anymore. They can literally hop on a Zoom call at any point during the day. So I think they really need to really be thinking about retention, but listening to obviously their employees within the organisation as to as to what do they want as well and what's going to keep them. Um, so at the FT, we have something called the Next Generation Board. Um, so it's a cohort of kind of mid-levels some junior, some mid, some slightly mid to senior um, employees that directly reverse mentor members of our executive board. So they're paired with the executive board. So our board gets then first-hand, on-the-ground information about, you know, what people think and feel. And it's not just coming through, obviously, an employee engagement kind of survey that we do on a quarterly or a biannual basis. So really feeding back, I guess, the mood is or you know what employees are expecting um to that exact leadership team so that they know and then you know they can be instrumental in helping co- to kind of spearhead change if it's needed i love that i haven't um, heard of uh, a company doing this kind of next generation board reverse mentoring it's uh, it, it sounds like a particularly important initiative at a time when <laughs> what people are experiencing on the ground is evolving so rapidly and the, the point you touch on around the importance of retention i think it's almost become a borderline taboo topic for some businesses because it's been talked about so much over the last two or three years that, of course, we have this great resignation and so forth. But I think the, there's so much more to discuss around how to adjust strategies to engage with this as a problem and as, and as, a, as a problem not just for the employee base, but how you think about your recruiting programs. How do you think about hiring people uh, in a way that takes into account that it's going to be easier for people to leave in their first year than it would have been previously. And people are going to be more and more aware of that. How have you thought about this sort of connective tissue of the world that you I, I imagine primarily operate in, in terms of recruiting and TA and how that touches on some of these uh, internal and employee topics of retention? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a lot of crossover, obviously, when we think about internal movement. So we open up all of our vacancies, both internally 
and externally, sometimes only internally. And we try and encourage and promote as much internal movement as we possibly can. So we'll promote those vacancies across sort of numerous channels sort of within the FT, email, Slack and stuff. So people are aware of, you know, different opportunities within the organization. So it might be within their team or their immediate department, but it might be outside of that as well. So we've tried to push that as much as possible because obviously AIDS retention, um, you know, if we can keep someone in a different role, then that's absolutely brilliant for us and obviously good for them because they're developing in their careers. So I think there's been, we've focused on that. I think we still need to do more on that. But we've also focused on then sort of educating managers on the benefits of that. I think, you know, when you have good people in your team, you often don't want to lose them to other roles or different departments. So we've done quite a bit of work of sort of, you know, working with our managers in terms of, you know, why that's a good thing, why they shouldn't sort of, you know, be too kind of grabby over their own team. (laughs) And yeah, educating them on on that piece. Um, And I think there's still then more for the FT to do on kind of the continued sort of reskilling and upskilling. We have a we have a fantastic learning team that offer you know a huge amount of different kind of programs um, and things that employees have access to. So I think there is a lot there for our employee base at the moment, but I think it's then if we are then investing in obviously, you know, people doing this training or these courses, then how do we then make sure that we spot the next opportunity for them at the FT or, you know, that that opportunity is there. That's where I think we could do a little bit more around sort of succession planning and kind of creating those career journeys across the FT and not necessarily just the linear career journey sort of within your own department, but looking at where there's synergies and where there's sort of obvious um, skills transfer so that we can sort of try and do as much kind of swapping and changing and moving of people um, around as we possibly can. Very exciting. Maybe personally to hear the way you're talking about this, because I think the question around how the TA function needs to be engaged in employee programs is so important, in part because for so many companies, it's easier for an employee to find a job externally than it is internally. And the succession planning point, I think, is something that is beginning to take on a different light to many businesses than it, uh, in the sense that it was previously part of a broader, more workforce and financial plan-driven question. How do we think about the, the higher-level numbers of people we have in the business? Increasingly, both in the sense of succession planning and general decisions around where are we hiring, how are our employees developing, is becoming much more of a capability-centric concept. The piece you're touching around kind of job, job design and thinking about this is for many businesses a question of, do we have the right data? Do we know the types of capabilities we have in our business? What skills we're hiring for? It sounds like you've started to to grapple with with this in a more granular way based on what you're, you're touching on. How, how have you thought about the kind of data problems that you need to solve in order to be able to make better decisions in these areas? Yes, yeah, so we are... And this is being led by our kind of HR and insight and reward team at the moment. We're, we're doing a, pro- a project on job profiling and looking at the different job profiles and groups across the FT and actually delving into that data, which I don't think that we've done, you know, we haven't done a, a huge amount of previously so that we can then identify, okay, right, we have X number of employees in this area and this job profile, this level, you know, that's actually a little bit heavy. We would want it to be lower than that. So the team is looking at that at the moment. So we would hope we would get to a stage where sort of our 
we've mapped the organisation, we have those job profiles in place, and then we can we can track movement between job profiles a little bit more easily. And then we can look at, okay, what's what are people's promotion journeys? What are people's job move journeys? Um, and actually, you know, track that data rather than just sort of trying to use our system to go, oh, okay, well, that person's job title changed, but did their responsibilities change? Like, I think it's been, it's been hard to look at that data up until that point. So I think if we can get that sort of job profiling nailed and get that sort of all in our system and everyone sort of mapped against it then it will allow us to be a bit more strategic in then how we look at moving talent around as well so we also do the nine box grid we do talent mapping so everyone all of the managers look at their teams and they plot them on a grid of high performance high potential so we have that information across the ft so actually then you know when we are looking at perhaps a senior role that's going to come up, then we could look at, okay, you know, who are perhaps our staff performance that we could be considering for that. So, but I think there's a little bit more work to do there still. It, it's it's uh, also a really exciting to start looking at where technology can assist. I think the piece you just mentioned around looking at your current performers, one of the things that we've invested in over the last four or five years is allowing businesses to actually think about who they should hire based on what do we know about our high performers? Rather than just starting with a job description, starting with a question of who do we have as a high performer in this role, a similar role, and can we find similar people to start recruiting and sourcing for, et cetera. And I think it's an exciting time because technology's only recently started to be able to help in these areas. And I think it's just at a time when it's important to to start engaging with, with these questions of effective job profiling and connection of what do we know about our employees and high performers to how do we think about hiring so i love the way that you're approaching this and it's uh, ex- exactly the way we've been thinking about this um here at beamering so to take a step back in time if uh, if we uh, go back to you thinking about a time when you were first becoming a, a ta leader um what advice would you give your past self oh that's a good question so i think it would be to step back and really take the time to look at what you want to achieve or what you know where the organization or where talent acquisition at at an organization needs to get to I think obviously recruitment is a support function and we can often feel like we're on a hamster wheel we're at the mercy of the business you know if there's a particularly busy period then you know we then have to jump and respond to that but I think as a TA leader I think it is to really sort of give yourself that headspace give yourself that grace to spend the time actually reflecting and reverting back and saying okay at the beginning of the year we said that we were going to achieve x y and z and actually you know the business has thrown a b and c at us as well so x y and z have been diluted so i think it's yeah i think that would be my advice to me personally is that because we you know because we are an internally um, facing function our job is obviously to support the business so then when their needs are sort of different to ours it can then sort of put some of the the strategies or the things that you know we wanted to achieve on on the back burner so to really yes to be able to push back at times or be able to communicate you know what then the priorities are so that you're not necessarily kind of bombarded then with with other asks um perhaps that sort of weren't you know weren't things that you thought were a priority a month ago or two months ago 
Absolutely. The, the holy grail of, uh, of uh, internal partnerships. Yes. As a, as a final question for you, Terry, if we fast forward five years into the future and uh, you, you came back from now into the world of talent, what do you think will have changed? I would hope to see that we've seen, you know, a bit of a shift across industries from a diversity perspective. I think companies, you know, across the board are working really hard to increase diversity now. And I would hope to see that, you know, in five years time, we've seen some improvement up the chain as well. And we've really seen some of the, I guess, that hard work hopefully pay off as well. And you touched upon this, a bigger focus on automation and on data. Absolutely. I think that, you know, we will be able to look at kind of key talent metrics in much more detail and use that and have technology support us in that process. But I also think that talent acquisition and recruitment and talent management I don't think it will ever lose that kind of personal touch. I think it needs to retain that that real people first kind of attitude. You know, we at the end of the day we want to automate as much as possible and we want to be as as efficient as possible, but we're hiring humans into businesses. So those humans will want to interact with other humans. So I think that yes we'll rely more heavily on technology and yes our ability to look at data and use that data will have come on leaps and bounds in the next five years. But I really hope that we won't have sort of got rid of that personal element of kind of recruitment and all been replaced by robots. So I think there'll be shifts in that area, but I think we'll it, it definitely still will retain that that very much human human element to it. I sure hope so. And I think it's going to be particularly important for the marriage of how businesses use technology at and their internal processes to actually drive in that direction, to use AI and automation to actually assist humans in human resources and talent uh, rather than trying to replace things. Because the most effective way for us to create a real meaningful human experiences is to think about where technology can help and where we can actually adjust where we spend our time uh, on things that are more driven by human interaction. So I really love those uh, those points on uh, both uh, diversity and the, the, the human, humaneness and human side of that process. Cherry, thank you so much. This has been such a, such a pleasure and such a great conversation. I appreciate you joining us today. Lovely. Well, thank you for having me. The Talent Blueprint is brought to you by Beamery. Beamery's talent lifecycle management platform makes it possible for enterprises to drive more human talent experiences and unlock the skills and potential of their global workforce with industry-leading AI. Beamery optimizes every step of the talent lifecycle, from sourcing and identifying talent with the right skills and potential, to building and marketing your employment brand, creating an internal talent marketplace, and mobilizing your employees through getting the reporting and talent insights that you need to make better decisions about your workforce. Are you ready to unlock your talent? Learn more at Beamery.com.